Our psalm of the day comes from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. The word of our God stands forever. Our gospel lesson this morning is found in Luke chapter 15. We are reading verses 1 through 24. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we give thanks for your word, and we are grateful for what you do to reconcile the lost, and that you find us and search us out. And so, Lord, drive home these things by your grace this morning as we come and listen carefully to you speak. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Over the next two weeks, our parable is a set of three. The parable of the lost sheep, of the lost coin, and the lost son. And so we will handle this over two weeks, taking different perspectives on it uh, in, uh, in each week. But this is some of the most famous material out of all the Gospels. Christians and non-Christians alike hold on to these stories. The parable, particularly of the prodigal son, has become the basis of numerous stories that are encoded in novels and also in movies. But one of the things is, is that with regularity, the stories are also easily and often misunderstood. It's a great story about lost things being found, but we can understand, we can misunderstand exactly what it means for something to be lost. And we can even more profoundly misunderstand what it means for something to be found and what Jesus is particularly emphasizing here. And so what's crucial for us this morning is that we clarify Jesus' message. Because it is our contention that at the heart of this message lies the church's vitality. That is the church's unity, the church's mission, the church's culture, the church's entire way of life rest in whether we get and understand and whether we receive what Jesus is saying here. And many people think that Jesus tells a heartwarming story here. Chicken noodle soup for the soul that everyone around would have found just tender and dear. And this is where the misunderstanding begins. Because it's just simply not the case. If you'll follow with me in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we see that Jesus speaks these three parables into a situation where there was a problem. And so Jesus is addressing a problem in order to reorient people to His work. Look what Luke tells us. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And this is why Jesus goes about telling these parables is in order to address those scribes and Pharisees, those who found themselves being self-righteous and were proud and judgmental of others. And Jesus enters into these stories to reorient them. And I can guarantee you that at the end of it, nobody was weepy and crying, perhaps with anger, maybe, because this is a profound moment of reorientation where Jesus is ministering to them and saying, no, not only have you misunderstood receiving the tax collectors and the sinners, you've misunderstood God Himself. Jesus is saying that the misunderstanding that was taking place in Israel was at the deepest of levels. And that He seeks to reorient them. And He would do the same today reorienting us to what the heart of God looks like, changing us, challenging us. And so friends, this morning, 
the question is, will we accept that reorientation and what does it look like? What does Jesus want to reorient about us? And there's three things specifically that are highlighted in these first 24 verses. The first is this, is that Jesus seeks to reorient our definition of sin. He tells the story of three things that are lost. A lost sheep, which sheep are known for being stupid. They don't tend to get lost because they're being willful. He tells the story of a lost coin. Coins don't get lost themselves. It's normally due to neglect by the owner. But then he tells the story of a lost son. And what we discover is that things were not lost in these parables because of neglect. That actually Jesus is building. He goes from the sheep to the coin to the son. And he explains here the nature of the rebellion which is not due to neglect, it's due to mutiny. That is how things have gotten lost. And you find him spelling this out in verse 12, where the prodigal says, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now in the ancient Near Eastern culture, this is highly inappropriate. Inheritance laws, the way that it worked in the Old Testament was just before the patriarch, the father of the family, died, the inheritance would be divided. Two-thirds of the inheritance would go to the oldest son in this situation, and one-third would go to the youngest. And they were then to take the family's wealth and treasure and continue on the family's legacy. But for the youngest son to come to his father and to request his inheritance early was highly inappropriate. It was the equivalent of saying that he wanted his father dead. That I want your stuff and I don't want you. He wanted his father dead. He wanted his possessions. There's two things specifically that happen in this request that help us understand the nature of sin. First is simple, is that he breaks not just a law, but obviously he breaks a relationship. He wants his father's materials and possessions. He wants his stuff, but he wants nothing anymore to do with his father. And friends, this is at the heart of sin. That sin is not just breaking some rules, and especially arbitrary ones, but sin is breaking a relationship and fracturing something. It's saying no to someone who loves and cares and nurtures you and going your own way. But the second thing that we see here is that the son also rejects his destiny as his father's son. It's important for us to understand the ancient Near Eastern context here where a son had certain responsibilities, especially if he was going to be an heir. That the responsibilities of the son were to take the possessions and then to be the next generation of the family, building the legacy of the family. Kent Bailey commentator who lived in the Middle East for over 40 years makes astute observations about this. Listen to it carefully. To accept one's inheritance involves acceptance of leadership responsibility in the family clan. The recipient is duty-bound to administer property and help solve family quarrels. He must defend the honor of the family against all comers. He pledges himself to increase the clan's wealth and represent them nobly at village functions. 
But this is specifically what the younger son does not want and does not ask for. He wants the money. And he is rejecting the responsibilities that come with his great privileges. And so there is this personal rejection of God and a demand for God's gifts without any type of responsibility. And here, Jesus is reorienting our definition of sin. We tend to think of sin just simply as breaking the law of God, which is not a bad starting definition. But it needs to go further. That it is defying a relationship. It's turning against. It's willful. And it's saying that God doesn't have our best interest at heart. That it's not just a disobedience of breaking a rule. It's also a lack of trust and faith. And that's everything that has gone on here. And so the son liquidates. When it says that he gathered up the possessions, that is the equivalent of saying he sold off. And you can imagine in this ancient context that wealth was not very liquid. The liquidity of it was very low, that it was held in things like sheep and oxen and fields and homes. And the son sells it off. He endangers the entire community as he does so because their livelihood, the family and the servants and all the different layers of society attached to this family, who was obviously of means, was now jeopardized. He goes off into the far country, and it's not surprising when Jesus tells us that it doesn't go so well for him. That he ends up eating the food of pigs, which for a Jewish audience, there was a great sense of irony here because they didn't touch swine. He wanted their food for himself. And friends, this is what happens to anyone who engages with this rebellion. And we all know this story that we find ourselves hungry, empty, that we go looking for life in a land where there is no life. We go looking for life from God's gifts apart from the giver Himself. And every time, we will experience the same disappointment. It just can't deliver. Why? Because God didn't design these gifts to deliver. He designed these gifts to be enjoyed, but in fellowship with Him. And so they can't give what we're wanting. And so the Son then comes somewhat to his senses. But the essential part for us is to take the redefinition of sin. To own it and to understand what God is doing with that. And that we need a more profound, deeper understanding of what it means to sin. This is Jesus' first reorientation. Now the second though, is that we see that Jesus seeks to reorient our understanding of grace. Verses 17 through 24 take this up, where Jesus is now telling the story of the son when he decides to return home to his father to the village. The son prepares a speech, if you follow with me, in verse 18. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And do you see what his request is going to be? 
he plans to ask whether he can be restored to the community and work as a servant or a slave. He wanted to earn money because he knew that in endangering the community, the community now despised him. And that he needed to come back into the community. Maybe there was even hope that he could gain his father's respect once again after years and years and years of work. If he demonstrated that he was useful. This is what he wanted to do. But of course what he's underestimating is he's underestimating his sin. Just how much he had sinned against heaven and sinned against his father. That he had made an utter fool of his father. And his father had gladly divided the inheritance which he didn't even have to do. He had shamed him in the deepest of ways in this cultural context. He knows what he's done is bad. He just doesn't even yet understand how bad it is. But this is where the father does something really preposterous. And Jesus uses this character in the parable to teach us something about the grace of God. Because what unfolds here in verse 20 says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And this is the amazing part of the story. Because what we see is that the son has planned his speech, but the father preempts him and goes out and embraces him out of his compassion. And then notice what happens. The son begins his speech. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And do you remember the other part of his plan? He was going to say, take me back as a hired servant. But the father cuts him off and says, no, bring out the best robe. Bring out the ring. Slaughter the fattened calf. And why this is so preposterous is what was expected. In first century Judaism, there was a custom called the kazaza. And the custom was for a wayward son who lost his money amongst the Gentiles. It was a specific custom. And if the son ever tried to enter back into village life, it was customary and expected that the father would take a pot out to meet him at the edge of the village, break the pot, and declare that the son was dead to him. Because the son had disrespected him, shamed him, and endangered the entire community by wasting the inheritance. He was a danger to everyone. Cut off. That's what was to happen. That's what everyone listening to Jesus' story, those scribes and Pharisees, that's what they were expecting for this father, this patriarch to do. But he does something scandalous. He goes out to his son and he embraces him. He clothes him. He puts all the dignity back upon him that he had had before his mutiny and rebellion. He calls him his own. He brings him back into the village, into its life. He allows the son to draft off of his social standing and his prominence and announces to everyone that this son is mine and he is back with me. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And it says they began to celebrate. 
And friends, the important reorientation that Jesus is working here is about how the grace of God works. That the grace of God is not seeking for you to barter. That God is not asking you to negotiate. That God is not seeking that you would try to atone for your sins or that you would grovel for them enough that He might forgive you. But rather, the story is told in such a way where the son, when he arrives at the edge of the village, that he's still lost. That he doesn't understand the depth of his sin. He doesn't also understand the character of his father. And that he wants to get back in and be a hired servant and earn his way back into the favor with his father and with the community. And that's not the way it works. He has come to his senses in some partial way, but yet he is not. When the father meets him at the edge of the village, his son is still profoundly lost. He's like that coin. He's like that sheep. He's still lost. But the father comes to him and forgives him. Rather than cutting off, he receives him. And that's how God works for you too. In all of your failures, in all of your faults, in all of your sins that don't recognize your failures and faults, God embraces you. He puts a robe and a ring. He calls you His son. He calls you His daughter. That He freely forgives you. This is the grace of God to cover our sins and to wash them away. You see, sin is not a problem that we can solve. And this is what the son still believed when he got to the edge of the village. The father knew that it was not a problem that he could solve. He didn't have this one under control. It wasn't inside of his capacity to address it. And friends, when you get that understanding of sin, how out of control the problem is, this is when grace begins to be real. And so Jesus is seeking to reorient us to the fact that God loves sinners. He wants you to embrace that, to believe it. It's why we bother to go through those motions every week if I can remember to turn on my microphone to call you to confess your sins, to acknowledge them. And we acknowledge them because the iniquity of us all has been laid on Him. That He has taken them. We're free to acknowledge it. And that's the liberated heart of the Gospel. And that's the real freedom and victory of the church as well. And the final reorientation that Jesus seeks here though, we see that He seeks to re reorient our understanding of God. Jesus had taught them about sin here, and He had taught them about grace, but He's also going to go into the heart and character and being and existence of God. It's back to verse 20. The Father saw Him and felt compassion and ran and embraced Him and kissed Him. And there is one major story being told here across all three of these parables. Jesus tells the story of the God who suffers in order to save. Oftentimes, we miss this here at the crucial junction because we believe that the Son is saving Himself. 
that he has come in repentance and the Father is receiving him back. And friends, with that reading, we're completely missing Jesus' point. Remember the parallel that the shepherd goes out after his wayward sheep. The sheep has nothing to do with finding itself. That the coin is lost and who finds it? The woman finds it. And she pays a great price for it. She scrubs her house and searches diligently for it. The shepherd has to pay an enormous price in order to recover the sheep. He leaves the 99 behind and goes out into the wilderness, endangering himself in order to then hoist the sheep up on his shoulders to bring it home. And that same thing is happening here with this father. Because everyone in the community's expectations were that he would cut off this wayward son, But the father, it says, ran out to him. And it was not the custom for patriarchal figures in this world to run. They were to walk in dignified manner and they wore flowing robes. And you can imagine to run in those flowing robes was quite awkward. And so what had to happen is that this patriarchal figure would have to gather up his robes, gird up his loins as the biblical language, and run. And this meant that he had to bear his pasty white legs. And part of the culture was that elderly gentlemen did not bear their legs. That was to bring shame upon yourself. To be seen in that kind of state was shameful. And to be seen running was not dignified. It was shameful. And so what the father here in the story does is he accepts the shame that his son has brought down on him and his family, and he goes out and embraces him. He puts the robe and the ring on him, which was his right and authority to confer those things. But he does so by receiving the son's shame into himself. He is suffering just like the woman who searched for the coin, just like the shepherd who went out searching for the sheep. And he allows the son back into the village. And everyone knew it, that the son's new status was not based upon his past failures, that his status was now grounded in the fact that the father had received him, had not cut him off, but had graciously brought him in. And friends, this is ultimately the story of the incarnation. You see, when Jesus talks about the shepherd who went out searching for the sheep, He's speaking about Himself. When He speaks about the woman who goes searching for the coin, He speaks about Himself. When He speaks about a father who goes out searching for a son, He speaks about Himself. Jesus was reorienting His audience and He reorients us today to the profound part of His message that God goes out into the journey out into the far country to meet what is lost. That God goes out to discover it. God goes out to find it. God goes out to reconcile it. God goes out to pay the price. God goes out to suffer the shame of what has been incurred by what we've done. That's what Jesus is after here. For us to understand the depths of our own sin. 
Our rebellion against God, our rejection of the responsibilities we have as His images, as those who've been called by Him to serve Him. He then welcomes us into understanding the heights of His grace. How big it is and lavish. And that God desires to celebrate and throw the party for those who have been reconciled. And He desires us to appreciate and to understand that He suffers in order to save. That He receives our shame into His body. That we can be restored to Him and to the community. That's what's unfolding here for Jesus. And He wants sinners to receive that good news. There's nothing that they must do to earn it. There's nothing that they can do to earn it. In fact, part of the repentance is recognizing that there is no hired labor inside of God's household. That He doesn't hire you out. He doesn't want your services, nor does He need them. And so stop it. Receive what He freely gives. And recognize that that God has sent His Son out to the edge of the village, and rather than cutting you off, what you and what I deserve. He takes out a robe. He takes out a ring. He takes out the fattened calf. He spares no expense. And He declares that you're His son. That you're His daughter. Friends, this God loves to recover lost things because they're valuable to Him. And when he finds them, after his own diligent search, going out to them and paying great price, the sacrifice of the very one who taught the story, where he died on the cross and was raised from the dead, in order that we can come back into the village's life, in order that the angels of heaven could dance and sing, in order that there be celebration and feasting, this is why Jesus knew that everything was at stake. Because those scribes and Pharisees and religious people down through today, we're still prone not to get it. That God doesn't love the self-righteous and self-satisfied. That God loves sinners. And He rejoices because He goes out and wins them. And that's what He wants us to appreciate. This is the very heart that gives the church life. And when we get off that, we lose that life. And so let's rejoice today. Let's give thanks. Because the great shepherd of the sheep has come. He's ransomed us. He's bought us. And now we can join the party and give thanks. Let's pray. Father, we do recognize just our pitiful understanding of grace. It's built on a pitiful understanding of sin, what we've done against You. But we ask that You would help us. And in deepening our understanding of sin, may we not be depressed, but may we give thanks and rejoice because we know that there is a grace that has suffered on our behalf and suffered in order to save us. May we receive that this morning. May we know all that is ours in Jesus. Keep us from those sins of the scribes and the Pharisees of being self-righteous and haughty and proud, looking down upon others. Help us, O oh God.
We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.